are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino Placerville, and it's time for the Wednesday edition of KVMR's Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Harmony Books of Nevada City, locally owned for over 25 years, next to the Chamber of Commerce at 130 Main Street. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 5.30, Sundays 11 to 4. Harmony Books carries thousands of books, including local authors. And we'd also like to thank Craig Johnson Plumbing, serving Nevada and Placer counties since 2004, now partnered with Clearwater and Filtration, providing water testing services, treatment recommendations, home filtration system design, and existing equipment evaluation. Information at clearwaterandfiltration.com. After the NPR headlines and regional weather, I'll be speaking with Taylor Wolf, and we're going to be talking about the possible redesignation of Nevada County for COVID purposes of changing back to code red, possibly next week. We'll have that story for you. Also, we'll have a report from NPR on how YouTube and Facebook had a difficult time keeping up with all the information in last week's election. And closing out today's newscast, we'll have George Rabain with a commentary. But first, NPR headlines, followed by local weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. President Donald Trump commemorated Veterans Day with a visit to Arlington National Cemetery today. NPR's Aisha Roscoe reports Trump's visit was his first public appearance since the election was called for Joe Biden. President Trump and the First Lady attended a brief Veterans Day ceremony at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Standing in the rain, Trump touched a wreath on display at the tomb after the national anthem was played. He made no remarks. Trump has yet to concede that he lost the election. His campaign has continued to file lawsuits, but officials have not laid out any path to invalidate the results. President-elect Joe Biden, meanwhile, took some time out from ongoing transition activities to mark the Veterans Day holiday at an event at the Korean War Memorial in Philadelphia. Biden placed a wreath and held a small meet-and-greet after the ceremony. Aisha Roscoe, NPR News. Prominent Dallas megachurch pastor Robert Jeffress, an ally of President Trump, has written a column for the Fox News website acknowledging President-elect Joe Biden as having won the White House. From Dallas KERA's Brett Jaspers has details. In the opinion piece, Jeffress calls Biden's victory a, quote, bitter pill to swallow, but also says, quote, here is our chance to show that Christians are not hypocrites. Jeffress is senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas. He was a high-profile supporter of President Trump before he won the White House in 2016. Jeffress's TV and radio shows air on hundreds of stations nationwide. Meanwhile, several prominent Republicans in Texas have chosen not to congratulate Biden in order to not contradict unsubstantiated questions about the election outcome raised by President Trump. I'm Brett Jaspers in Dallas. Georgia's presidential race will undergo a hand recount as part of a post-election audit. As Georgia Public Broadcasting's Stephen Fowler explains, officials will have just over a week to count nearly 5 million ballots. Georgia law requires a risk-limiting audit that uses statistics to re-examine a certain number of ballots to be confident in the outcome. 
Because Joe Biden leads President Trump by about 14,000 votes, the only way to be confident is to hand recount all 4.9 million ballots cast, something the Trump campaign also wants because they allege fraud without providing evidence. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger says this option makes everyone happy. It will be an audit, a recount, and a recanvas all at once. It will be a heavy lift, but we will work with the counties to get this done in time for our state certification. All 159 counties will begin their recount Thursday. For NPR News, I'm Stephen Fowler in Atlanta. Tropical Storm Ada, which has bounced back and forth to being a hurricane, is back to a tropical storm, but it's caused plenty of damage. The storm's maximum sustained winds coming down a bit as Florida braces for a second hit from the long-lasting weather system. On Wall Street, the Dow dropped 23 points. This is NPR. A new study finds Atlantic hurricanes are slowing down less when they hit land. NPR's Rebecca Hersher reports the study points to climate change as the likely cause. Hurricanes form over water. When the water and the air above it are warmer, hurricanes suck up more moisture. And when a hurricane hits land, it's abruptly severed from the water that gives it its power, and the storm rapidly loses intensity and slows. But a new study finds that as the Earth gets hotter, hurricanes that form over the North Atlantic Ocean and hit land are maintaining their speed and strength longer. The authors of the study, published in the journal Nature, found that the extra moisture hurricanes are carrying allow the storm to maintain intensity longer. That's a serious problem for people who live in coastal areas. Previous research also indicates hurricanes are more likely to intensify rapidly and drop catastrophic amounts of rain as the Earth heats up. Rebecca Hersher, NPR News. A recall involving some 344,000 older Cadillac SUV models. National Transportation Safety Administration says it's investigating complaints that rear suspensions in the vehicles could fail, causing drivers to lose control and possibly crash. The agency says it's received nine complaints from owners, including two that involved crashes. About 290,000 of the SUVs from model years 2010 through 2015 were recalled in 2014 for the same problem, though some owners say they were not included in that recall. And taking a look at the weather in our region for the next few days... It looks like here in the Grass Valley, Nevada city area, we'll have a low of 41, high of 57 tomorrow, partly cloudy. Friday, low of 42, high of 49, likely to have a half inch of rain in the evening, partly cloudy over the weekend. In Sacramento, low of 33, high of 63, rain likely Friday evening, mostly sunny Saturday and Sunday. And in Truckee, a low of 8 tonight, high of 47 tomorrow, sunny tomorrow, rain and possibly a little snow on Friday. Clearing up for the weekend, mostly sunny Saturday and Sunday. I'm speaking with Taylor Wolf, Administrative Analyst for the Nevada County Executive Office. And uh, Taylor, um, uh, welcome to KVMR. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, Current numbers with COVID-19 and what do they mean? I hear a lot of things that we might be going into a more restrictive tier um, real soon. And I thought I'd just talk to you and get the details of where we stand. 
Yeah, great question, and thank you for asking. So where we stand right now, our last update happened yesterday evening, Tuesday evening. On the 10th, we are at 733 total cases of COVID-19 since the pandemic started about eight months ago. Um, of these cases, we have 87 that are active. And if you've been following the data on our MyNevadaCounty.com slash coronavirus dashboard, you'll notice that from about a month ago, these active cases have over almost doubled. So we've seen a quite a significant increase in spike in COVID-19 cases in our community locally. It's not a trend um, that's unique to Nevada County. Uh, we're seeing that statewide and nationally as well. Um, we're seeing it in our statistics, but as we, we all know too, we've seen some recent cases in our local schools. Uh, really with that, huge kudos to our school nurses who have developed excellent protocols to follow when they have a student or a staff member who tests positive. And we've also seen that increase in our active hospitalizations on our dashboard. As of yesterday, we had five active hospitalizations and throughout the COVID-19 pandemic in Nevada County, that's um, you know one of the higher numbers we have seen. So we're definitely seeing those impacts. Um, you know, talking about the state's tier system, as you asked, Paul, we're seeing those impacts or looking at those impacts at our hospital as we see those hospitalizations go up. But also, as we see our cases go up, we're looking at possibly moving into the red tier next week on Tuesday. Um, this isn't for certain at the time, uh, but we're absolutely looking at the impact to our businesses because ultimately what this means is moving backwards and having more restrictions on our local businesses because those COVID-19 cases are climbing. And... Um, really what it boils down to is decreased capacity in our facilities. So what the state looks at with that tier system, they look at two different metrics. They look at uh, Nevada County's daily new case rate per 100,000 and the seven-day average of positive COVID-19 tests. And so this week, this Tuesday, what made big news and started getting people talking is that we landed in the red tier this Tuesday, but we have to remain in the red tier from the state's data for those two weeks. So if we land in the red tier or the purple tier again next week, that will mark uh, the moment that our businesses will start needing to implement those restrictions, um, pare back the, their capacity in their facilities, um, and really start looking at implementing the regulations of, of moving into the red substantial tier for us. What uh, businesses particularly will be affected by this? So the state has a, a great website with a search function at covid19.ca.gov. Um, you can go to a site on there called Safer Economy and you can look up exactly the impacts um, for any business industry and the county that we're in. So again, we're still in orange tier, but we're looking like it's likely that we will land in red tier, just looking at our case trends, the spike and landing in red tier for the first time this week. Um, but to be more specific, it will impact our restaurants. There will be going from 50 to 25% capacity indoors if, again, we do land in the red tier next week. Um, retail in the orange tier, as we've been for many months, it had no capacity limit. In the red tier, we would go to 50% indoor capacity. 
movie theaters, uh, they've been at 50% capacity in the orange tier. They would go back to 25. Gyms and fitness centers, 25% indoor capacity in the orange uh, tier. And they would go back to 10% in the red tier. Um, bars and breweries. So they have been allowed to be open outdoors in the orange tier. They will have to close in the red tier. That's largely because of the behavior we know people have when they go out to um, drink at a bar or brewery. It's a lot um, easier and a lot faster to have uh, those loosened modifications. So we're talking about the social distancing and the masking. Um, and then wineries. So in the orange tier, 25% capacity indoors. And in the red tier, if we do move that way next week, they will have reduced to outdoor only in the red tier. So we're definitely looking at the impacts uh, to our businesses here. Um, and really, it's all in that data. The trends with our current COVID-19 cases as we're looking at this spike is really truly from social gatherings. And that's what it has been throughout the COVID-19 pandemic for Nevada County. Uh, but some new trends are cropping up as well. So people getting a little bit more relaxed in the workplace. So maybe going into the office if they're feeling a little bit sick, playing it off as if it's cold or allergies um, when maybe it's a uh, a minor case of COVID-19 and spreading it amongst their workforce or just not being diligent about those modifications in the workforce as well. So um, the masking and the social distancing, making sure that we're keeping that in place if we are in a workplace setting. The other unique trend that we're seeing is um, people getting outside and going outdoors, maybe hunting or fishing in particular. Um, great to do, easy to social distance, but they may be riding in the same car when they're going out there. So again, just being really careful um, of mixing with people outside your households. And if we can be really diligent about putting these modifications in place, that's how we can course correct our statistics and hopefully head um, back in the other direction away from the red tier and even looking at our statistics recently you know who's to to say what's to come in a few weeks but a possibility of a of the purple tier the most restriction restrictive tier so we want to uh, course correct and head back in the direction of the orange tier or maybe even the yellow tier if we can do a really good job so these uh, these tiers in this uh, kind of system of information uh, and these regulations are all state-driven. Is that correct? That is correct. This is the state's tier system. The governor announced this tier system on August 31st, I believe it was. So it has been in place for a few months when it was first announced um, due to those two statistics that – uh, the state monitors the daily new case rates and testing positivity rate. Uh, we did land in the red tier, but again, we were able to course correct. And for the majority since of the, t the time since the tier system has been implemented, we have been in the orange tier. Um, so again, it's really up to our personal behavior to be able to get this going backwards and get to those less restrictive tiers. Um, you know, one of those statistics that the state monitors outside of the daily case rates is the testing positivity rate. And we've heard a lot of chatter recently about not going out and getting tested, um, being more proactive about getting tested and maybe coming up with more negative tests, let's say, actually can work in our favor because it will lower that testing positivity rate if we have um, a lot of negatives as well as some positives. So 
please um, encourage people to continue to get tested at our Optum Serve testing site. Um, if you're symptomatic, even if you think it's minimal and maybe is a cold and a flu, please don't go into work. Consider getting tested. It's really easy to get a uh, appointment at LHI period care slash COVID testing, or if you find out about a possible exposure to someone else who has had COVID-19, or maybe you're traveling a little bit and when you come home um, as a precaution, you get tested. And if you are doing any of these things, we also just like to remind people as well, just please remember to stay home and limit your interactions in public spaces uh, until you receive those results and hopefully get that negative back. I'm speaking with Taylor Wolf, Administrative Analyst for Nevada County's Executive Office. And we have Thanksgiving coming up, obviously a, a major day for family gatherings. Um, it's going to put a little bit of a damper on that, I would imagine. You know, like most things, um, this year looks a little bit different than it did in past years, um, but we really need to keep in mind the community's health and try to do the best thing for everyone. Um, you know, our individual actions, if we all are putting these modifications in place, they allow us to better support our businesses. We are heading into the holiday season. Um, no one wants to see increased restrictions or decreased capacity for these businesses during this time. So we're definitely encouraging people to shop local and shop early, shop safely. Um, and of course, you know, continuing for those Thanksgiving celebrations, um, making sure that we're coming up with creative alternatives. We're very grateful for a lot of people in our community who are really putting their best foot forward. For example, I'll just say the turkey trot going virtual this year because that's one of the large events that we're used to on Thanksgiving. So um, we thank everyone for their diligence and just encourage people to, to hang in there and look for those creative connections in a safe, safe way. Uh, how can people find out more about this and particularly uh, uh, what resources are available uh, for small businesses? Absolutely. So if people want to learn and maybe do a, a more of a deep dive about the state's tier system, uh, I would recommend them going to covid19.ca.gov. There's a lot of information there, including the find what activities are open in your county tool I was referencing earlier. So you can see what tier um, your county or other counties in the state are falling into and search the business industry and find out exactly what's going on. Here locally, we do have a couple of opportunities to where we're looking to support small businesses through this time because we know it's been a very difficult year. Uh, we are doing a second round of small business personal protective equipment, PPE distribution of hand sanitizers and masks. Um, it's available to businesses with 25 employees or less. Uh, for those small business owners, they can go online at mynevadacounty.com slash PPE to apply. And uh, compared to our first event, this event, you will go ahead and request your PPE and select a location you'd like to pick it up at and go ahead and pick it up at your own convenience. So those locations are the Nevada County Contractors Association, the Grass Valley Chamber of Commerce, and Zap Manufacturing in Grass Valley. And for our Eastern County folks, Truckee also has a PPE distribution going on as well. In addition to that, um, environmental health has an application out right now 
to waive their environmental health permit fees for the fiscal year 2021. So environmental health um, food permits or permits in general are for businesses like restaurants, bars and breweries, body art and tattoo parlors, swimming pools and spas and organized campgrounds. That will be open through the end of the month. So businesses um, that fall within those industries have a few more weeks to apply. Everyone must apply by November 30th. And that application can be found at mynevadacounty.com slash PPE as well. Taylor Wolf, uh, thank you very much for speaking with KVMR and keeping us up to date. Thank you, Paul. I've been speaking with Taylor Wolf, Administrative Analyst for the Nevada County's Executive Office. Tech platforms took their most aggressive stance against election misinformation last week, flagging tweets and putting warning labels on questionable allegations. And yet false claims and conspiracy theories still reached a lot of people. One reason? Live video. NPR tech correspondent Shannon Bond joins us now to explain. Hi, Shannon. Hey, Ari. Start off by telling us about some of these live videos that have popped up since last week. Like, what do you see in them? Well, how much time do you have? (laughs) Um, So let's start with Election Day. Uh, There were fake results that were live streamed on YouTube, which is the video platform owned by Google. And one of these live streams actually reached the top five on Google's results for vote tallies in swing states. And, Mm. you know, that meant that hundreds of thousands of viewers saw some of these streams before YouTube eventually took them down. We also are seeing live commentary from influencers, sort of like what you would see on cable news, right? And so these influencers will push these false narratives about voter fraud. They'll show tweets. They'll play other video clips. And they often frame them as saying, well, I'm, I'm just asking questions or people on the internet are saying this. Another tactic we see is what is effectively fake live video. So people post video from something that happened last year or take a video from a protest in one city and claim it's live from another city. And they'll use trending hashtags on those videos to reach a lot of people. I think we're all familiar now with how social media companies can crack down on text and photos that are still that stay up for a while and you pull them down. How do you do that with live video? I mean, it seems like a unique challenge. Yeah, I mean, we did see these companies move really quickly last week, you know, labeling posts from President Trump and his supporters making false claims. But live video is harder to stop the spread of. For one reason, it's live. Uh, And you can't scan it as quickly as text. Here's what Evelyn Dweck told me. She's at Harvard Law School. She studies the platform's rules. It's harder to search uh, video content um, as opposed to, to text. Uh, and so it's a lot harder to scrutinize what's going on and it's a lot more time consuming. And so these videos, you know, they may eventually get taken down by the platforms or a label is put on saying they're misleading. But in the meantime, they reach lots and lots of viewers. What do the companies say they're doing about this? Um, Well, we should say, first of all, that Google, Facebook, and TikTok are all among NPR's financial supporters. Now, Facebook and YouTube both say they are taking steps to limit the reach of misleading claims made on live video, um, you know, by limiting distribution or not recommending them. But they're still slow at this. I mean, take last week, former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon went on on the live stream on, on Facebook and YouTube, and he called for Dr. Anthony Fauci and FBI Director Christopher Wray to be beheaded. Uh, YouTube and Facebook both deleted this video, but only hours after it had gone live, had lots and lots of people had seen it. 
The company has also penalized Bannon's account. He can't post new new posts or new videos. But that was a less aggressive stance than Twitter, which permanently suspended Bannon's account. You know, and Ari, another tricky challenge for these platforms is, you know, a video doesn't just stay on one platform. So in many cases, somebody will take a snippet of a live feed from YouTube, right, with you know, baseless rumors and you know, spreading these sort of claims. They'll put that up on TikTok. Maybe TikTok takes it down because it also doesn't allow some of these misleading claims. But those things get reposted. And it's just really hard to stamp out. It's so hard for any individual company to take really effective action kind of against the, the proliferation of these false claims, because even after they've been debunked, they pop up again and again. That's NPR tech correspondent Shannon Bond. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you. You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino, Placerville. And this is KVMR's Evening News for Wednesday. KVMR's Evening News broadcast Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up at 6.30, we have this week's edition of The Sages Among Us. And at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Closing out today's newscast, we have George Rabain with a commentary. We follow the science has been heard across the land for some months now, mostly from shady politicians, but also from politicians of all shades. This pompous and gratuitous claim is put out primarily to shut off further debate about whatever issue that is sheltered under the science umbrella. The politician or media talking head knows that his audience is woefully unprepared to understand, let alone contest, any proposition so couched. The effectiveness of this kind of communication hinges on the level of numeracy enjoyed by our population at large. Numeracy is the mathematical partner of literacy. Numeracy is the analog of literacy, communication by letters and words, in the sense that the numerate person can understand everyday issues involving arithmetic calculation, basic logic, chance, utility, elements of finance, graphical presentation of information, the scientific process, and ability to think critically. As a person does not have to be a professional wordsmith to be literate, then also a person need not be a professional in the mathematically-based disciplines to be considered numerate. Numeracy is just another arrow, albeit a very important one, that an educated person has in his quiver. Innumeracy, like illiteracy, is the converse of having such tools at your disposal. Adult innumeracy is the long-standing and silent scourge of our country and of our times as confirmed by longitudinal surveys done by the Department of Education. Americans are overwhelmingly innumerate, with about one out of twenty of us having the skills of a numerate layman. In a liberal democracy, the importance of voter numeracy is based on a simple truth. All social issues in our community and across the land are significant only because of their descriptive numbers. And without the ability to process those numbers, we really don't understand the issue and can only emote about it. Doubly important today, when considering issues such as climate change and the COVID pandemic, is knowing that science does not speak with certitude or with a single voice. A litmus test for false science is when someone, usually a politician, claims that consensus science supports his agenda and that the debate is over. 
Science always communicates as a chorus of varying opinions, interpretations, and even violent disagreements. 90% of peer-reviewed scientific articles subsequently proved to be wrong. New science, that is suddenly supported by everyone, has almost always turned out to be an error as shown by someone or some small team swimming against the current. Almost all major scientific breakthroughs have come from single investigators who were roundly criticized and rejected by the consensus scientific community after introducing their results. Today, most developed countries provide government-sponsored adult numeracy courses and seminars. They do that because most citizens don't study STEM subjects in school and that the issues presented to voters have become ever more complex and comprehensive with numbers that determine and define their importance to society. For some reason, the United States does not do that. We are the only advanced country wherein a person in a social setting can freely admit, without shame or blemish, that I don't do numbers. For example, in European countries, such an admission would be tantamount to a seemingly educated American confessing that I don't read. So here we are today having been presented emotional arguments about hundred-year sea levels, temperatures, frequencies of storms and wildfires, role of COVID testing, the efficacy of face masks and social distancing, the virulence of COVID versus annual flu, likelihood of infection, of mortality, meaning and role of herd immunity, and so on. Today, it would be optimistic to hope that one in a hundred Americans understands or could reasonably address these issues and their salient factors. Instead, we make do by listening to the most frequent and loudest voices that anchor with our own political leanings and tell us how to think about what we not only don't but also cannot understand because we are innumerate. And then we enter the voting booth to follow the science. My name is Rebane, and I also expand on this and related themes on Rebane's Ruminations, where the transcript of this commentary is posted with relevant links and where such issues are debated extensively. However, my views are not necessarily shared by KVMR. Thank you for listening. That's our newscast for this evening. Next up, we have the Sages Among Us, and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Thanks for listening.